This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host here and the founder of Worth Recovery. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012, which if you're counting along with me, is just two short months shy of four years. So super excited about that. In our last episode, I started with a moment of gratitude. As I enter the fall part of the year, it's just my favorite time of year and for I always tend to get really reflective and really grateful. It's good to take a moment and express gratitude for the things in my life. Today, I'm incredibly grateful for clarity. A lot of times in my life, I have felt lost. I have felt like I was just overwhelmed and didn't know how to navigate the things going on in my life. Sometimes I still feel that way, if I'm really honest. And then there are moments when things fall into place and I have moments of clarity. Clarity has a way of just calming me down, bringing serenity into my life. It is a way of putting things into perspective and helping me understand the next step. I've had that feeling for a few days now, that feeling of just crystal clear clarity. Understanding what is mine, what is my responsibility, and how to move forward. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Clarity for me comes after long days of writing, trying to figure things out, wrestling with some of the big issues in my life, and a whole lot of prayer. A whole lot of prayer and surrender. I also find a lot of clarity when I detach myself from outcomes. When I stop trying to control things and trying to push things to move a certain direction, When I just allow myself to see what is, I find a whole lot of clarity and perspective. I'm grateful for that in my life today. I'm grateful for the clarity that is coming to me around so many areas of my life, including worth recovery, around how to move things forward, around the next steps for me. I encourage you to take a moment today and try to find some clarity around a particular part of your life. Write about it, surrender it, pray about it, wrestle with it, and try to detach yourselves from the outcomes. See if you can find a little more clarity about your next step. And hopefully you can have a grateful moment as well. Grateful for answers, grateful for clarity. I'm grateful for clarity. This today is episode 63 and is the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps of recovery. In our last episode of this series, that was episode 61, we began the discussion of step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. We are working this discussion on this step a little bit backwards. Typically, we have discussed the principles involved in the step, and then in the concluding episode, I give you the ideas and suggestions of how to work the step in your life. This time around though, we're going backwards. And we're doing that because that is my lived experience. That's how it worked for me. It wasn't until I started working this step that I began to see the principles involved in it. In episode 61, that was our last episode about step eight, we discussed how to work this step. And I gave you three principles I learned about in working this step. Those principles were ownership, letting go, and forgiveness. 
In this episode, episode 63, we will discuss the first of those principles, ownership. And then our next two episodes, 65 and 67, will discuss the other two principles, letting go and forgiveness. Now, before we jump too far in yet, let me remind you of a few things, right? First, our Worth Recovery event is coming up in January, and it's just a few months away. We already have so many signed up. I'm so excited. I've been speaking with our presenters, and I'm excited about what what we have happening and what we have planning. So get on the website and learn all about it. You can do that at worthrecovery.com, www.worthrecovery.com. Now get your ticket before December 1st to take advantage of our early bird pricing. And then, of course, I always, always love to give a big shout out to all of my Worth Warriors, including our newest Worth Warrior, Connie. Thank you for your support. It's because of the Worth Warriors that we can keep this podcast free for all of you that are listening. It is highly important to me that when a woman in sex addiction reaches out for help, she has another woman to connect with. That's not the case for so many women out there. And so the mission, part of the mission of Worth Recovery is to provide that voice and that hand for women reaching out who need help. Too many of us find ourselves isolated and alone when we enter recovery. You can be part of providing that connection and voice by becoming a Worth Warrior. For as little as $4 a month, ladies, that is less than 50 cents an episode you can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share this podcast. Do you have someone you think might benefit another woman in recovery? Share this podcast. Help them find the support that they need. Help them by sharing your favorite episode with them and maybe some of the lessons that you've learned. All of the information for both our upcoming event as well as the Worth Warriors can be found on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. Okay, let's jump into step eight. So step eight tells us we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Now, as I wrote my amends letters for step eight, more than a few things came up for me. The first thing I really struggled with was this principle of ownership. The harm that I caused was heavy and uncomfortable. I didn't want to sit in it. After how great I felt and the progress I was making in recovery, to go back and sit in these feelings of guilt and shame was really difficult. The first thing that came up for me was this kind of this desire to make excuses, anything to explain away my behavior. At first, I wanted to use my addiction as an excuse. I would write things in my letters like, as a result of my addiction, I hurt you in the following way. Or I would write things like, my addict hurt you or caused harm in these ways. Now, these sentences, they're not taking ownership of the harms that I had caused. They were simply making excuses, splintering myself off, using my addiction as an excuse to cause the harm. That's not ownership. Not at all. Now, once I kind of worked through that, the next thing that came up for me was the desire to put context to what had happened. Then I wanted to just kind of explain the big picture and I wanted to make sure that the person understood that I was really sick and I would write things like this. Maybe this was hurtful for you, but there were others I hurt worse. This was not the worst of my acting out behavior. (laughs) Yeah, that's not really taking ownership, is it? 
Or I would say things like sex addiction is really an intimacy disorder and I don't really relate to others in any form. And so that is why I cause these harms. Again, not taking ownership. Or sometimes I would say things like it wasn't about the sex. It was about getting emotional needs met. Yeah, that's not taking ownership either. This was not taking ownership of the harms that I had caused in any way. It was just me trying to, again, provide context to explain my behavior. Then after I kind of worked through that, the next thing that came up that I really struggled with in writing these letters for step eight was shifting the blame. Some of these people had caused harm to me. Some of my behaviors were in response to the harm that they had caused, the damage that they had done in my life. And I would write things like, in response to the harm you caused me, I blank, 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 fill in the blank, right? Or if you hadn't cheated on me, I wouldn't have dot, dot, dot. If you weren't such a bully, I wouldn't have dot, dot, dot. Or simply, I did this because you did that first, Now, again, this was not taking ownership of the harms that I had caused. This was just trying to shift the blame for my behavior onto their behavior, kind of a tit for tat type thing. These are just a few examples of the many ways that I was trying to not accept responsibility or ownership for the harm that I had caused. Sitting in that place of ownership was difficult. Sitting in those feelings was really difficult. The process of doing this is not easy. It's not the easy path nor the most comfortable path. In fact, this is some of the hardest work I did in 12 steps. Now, I'm not alone in this. The SAA Green Book um, explains this really well on page 45. It says, quote, with the eighth step, we begin to take responsibility for the harm we inflicted on others when we acted on our character defects. Most of us know that we caused harm in one way or another, but in the past, we chose to feel guilty without doing anything about it. It was frightening to consider the consequences of our wrongs, and we felt helpless to take action. Or we were just too self-absorbed to notice the wreckage in our wake, so wrapped up in our own resentments and hurts that we were unwilling to recognize our part in the problem. However, as we progress in recovery, we seek to reclaim the truth about our actions. Close quote. I love that last line. As we progress in recovery, we seek to reclaim the truth about our actions. The truth about my actions was that I had caused harm and I needed to own that. On some level, I was willing to do that. I had listed the harms on my harms done list. I had recognized that there was harm done, but on other levels, I was still making excuses, providing justification or rationalization, shifting blame, all of those things. Ownership was not enough, right? On one level, I was owning it. On the other level, I wanted to run from it. So ownership itself was not enough. I needed to be a responsible owner of the harms that I had done. There's a difference between just ownership and responsible ownership. Let me see if I can provide some examples to help you see those difference between ownership and responsible ownership. First of all, I need to just give credit to my therapist for helping me see this in my own life and giving me some really great examples of my own life. So let me see if I can give you one. So I've owned three cars in my life. So I bought my first car right when I turned 18 
and I'm currently 40. So in 22 years, I've owned three cars. That's really not that many, actually, now that I think about it. However, my first car at the age of 18 was Zach. Yes, I named, well, I named my first two cars. I didn't really have a name for my current car. Anyway, Zach. Zach was my first car. He was a Plymouth Neon. It was the very first year that the Neon came out, and it was still under Plymouth, not Dodge. It was a Plymouth Neon, and it was amazing. It was just a really base stock model, nothing electric, nothing, you know, motorized. I had to actually roll the window up with a little turn roll thing, right? I loved that car. I loved that car so much. He cornered really, really well, got incredible gas mileage, was a stick shift. I love driving a stick shift. And that car was my whole life for many, many years. I bought it at the age of 18 and I didn't finally change cars until I was 24. So six years, I drove Zach for six years. Now, Although I loved that car, and we as a family still talk very, very fondly about that car, and though I was the owner of that car, I was the owner on the title and everything, I was definitely not a responsible owner of Zach. This is why. I didn't always keep Zach insured. I was kind of irresponsible during that whole period of my life. It was my first real bout with acting out an addiction, and so Zach wasn't always insured. That's not being a responsible owner. Zach was in multiple car accidents because I was a little crazy driver back then. I'm not now, but I was back then. And uh, and we hit several different cars, several different things while I was learning, while I was driving. I wasn't learning to drive, but while I was learning to live my life. Um, we also got multiple tickets. I got a lot of speeding tickets driving Zach. And Zach, I can think of three different instances where I ran out of, I ran out of gas. I just like rounding a corner one time, just ran out of gas and had to actually push the car to the gas station. I wasn't a very good responsible owner of Zach. Though I owned him, he was mine. I wasn't the responsible owner. Now my next car, I was a little bit better. Jesse, Jesse the Jeep was my next car. I had a Jeep Wrangler and loved that car as well. Super fun to drive, super fun to take off road, super fun to do lots of really great things with. Had a lot more room, could take a lot more people with me. I loved Jesse, super great car. Did a lot of really great things for me as well. However, again, Jesse and I had a rough run. Though I was the owner, I was not a responsible owner in many ways. Fewer accidents with Jesse than with Zach, but still a few accidents. One was a really, really bad accident where I rear-ended a car and um, the gentleman ended up not in the hospital, but just had a lot of um, problems with whiplash and things like that. And I still sometimes feel bad about that whole period of time where I was driving that car. Um, but my biggest problem with Jesse was the fact that I didn't service that car regularly. I didn't take care of it. I didn't go in and get the oil changed. I didn't go in and service the engine. It was a four-wheel drive. I didn't service that either. And so I had mechanical problems with Jesse that I had never had with any other car or haven't had with any other car since. I was not a responsible owner with Jesse. I didn't take care of him. 
Now, my current car is a Mercury Mariner, and I love this car. I just call it the Mariner. I don't call it by a name or anything, but that's what I call it. This is the first car in my life that I've paid off and own outright. This is the first car in my life that has never been in an accident. I feel like I should like knock on some wood there, but never hit anything with it. Never been in an accident. In fact, I've owned it since 05, so 11 years, and it's never been in an accident. I've never had to replace the glass on it. I've never had a mechanical issue with it. I've never had I've never run out of gas. I've never had any problems with this car. In fact, I don't even think I've had a ticket in this car. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't even had a ticket in this car, okay? So look at that evolution in my life of cars becoming a responsible owner. This car gets serviced regularly. I rotate the tires. I do all sorts of things. Part of that's just maturity and age, but part of that is understanding ownership and responsible ownership and what I need to do in order to be a responsible owner. I've loved each of those cars and I have great, great memories in each of them. But like I said, I wasn't always a responsible owner. It took me years of owning cars to understand what responsible ownership was. Understanding the value of a clean car, the reason we keep it clean. Understanding the beautiful thing that regular maintenance is, how it keeps the car going, running well. It took me years to learn the lessons of responsible car ownership. I now have a car that is paid off, runs great, is clean, insured, and I don't run out of gas random places or get pulled over or in car accidents. Like I said, it's never been in a car accident. Responsible ownership of my car has saved me thousands of dollars. Basically, I quit making excuses. I quit blaming cops for tickets. I quit blaming other drivers for accidents. I accepted that if I owned the car, it was going to be my responsibility to take care of it, service it, drive it appropriately, all those great things that go into responsible ownership. I took responsible ownership of the car. Now, I can look at other things in my life and see similar parallels. You can see it all the time when you drive around. Those that take responsible ownership of their homes and those that do not. Those that take responsible ownership of their position at work and their assignments and those that do not. Those that take responsible ownership of their addiction and their recovery and those that do not. Some of them are obvious. Some of them you can point out right away and some are a lot more subtle. I think about my addiction and think I did not take responsible ownership of my sexuality. I did not take responsible ownership of my body. There are many things that throughout my life, I have not always been a responsible owner of. I recently had someone say to me, quote, you're just so good at what you do that it makes me jealous. I know it's my issue. I know it's not about you and it's about me, but it's just how I feel, close quote. So really, when you say something like that, you're saying, if you weren't so good, I wouldn't be jealous. If you boil it down a little bit further, you're saying, it's your fault that I'm jealous. That, my friends, is not responsible ownership. You've shifted all the blame to me, but at the same time, you're saying it is your issue. So you maybe have taken ownership at some level, but you're not being a responsible owner. You're saying that you're, quote, owning it, but you really aren't. And in that process of not owning it, you have caused more harm. 
Because what do you want me to do with that information? How do you think that makes me feel when you tell me how jealous you are? I know you think you're complimenting me, but in fact, you're blaming me for your own character defects. And it feels crummy. It feels really crummy. That is the danger of irresponsible ownership. More harm. When I don't take care of my cars, I cause more harm to my life. I endanger my life by driving on bald tires, maybe, and I endanger the lives of those around me. By not cleaning my engine or getting it serviced regularly, I cause more harm to my car. By not keeping it clean and tidy, I may damage the things in my car, but also may lose things and have to spend hours looking for them. When I am not a responsible owner of my possessions, my addiction, my character defects, or my harms done, I put it all at risk and cause more harm. The question is, how do I show responsible ownership? What is my check? How do I know if I'm being a responsible owner of the harms that I have caused, my character defects, all those things? How do I know? The thing that has helped me the most in kind of identifying between ownership and responsible ownership, especially when you apply this towards step eight, my harm's done, is that I make amends for behaviors, not for feelings. I've learned that sometimes I am as powerless over my feelings as I ever was over my triggers or my addictive cycle. What powerlessness taught me is that I'm not responsible for the feelings or for the triggers, but I am responsible for how I respond to them. My amends letter doesn't say I felt abandoned by you or I was resentful towards you. Those are feelings. I am powerless over my feelings. I don't make amends for my feelings, but I am not powerless over my response to those feelings. So I make an apology and an amends for my behavior. I don't write, I lusted after you. I write, I flirted with you and led you on behaviors when I had no intention of backing that up. Or I write, I used you, that's my behavior, to meet my own needs for validation and physical affection without consideration of your feelings. I don't write things like, I was resentful and angry at you. I write, I yelled at you and blamed you, behaviors, for things that were out of your control. Or maybe I write, I stonewalled and refused to engage with you, behaviors, when I didn't get my way. If no behaviors exist, no amends to the person needs to be made. Example, I am really good at being judgmental in my head, but I have practiced and practiced and learned to let it go, to surrender it, and to not let it affect my actions or treatment of others. Sometimes I'm better at that than other times. So sometimes it warrants an amends. I might say, wow, some of my own stuff got in the way and I was distant and cold towards you. Behaviors. I regret that and hope you can forgive me. You are important to me and I want to maintain our friendship. But I'm not going to say, wow, I was super judgmental of you last week. I regret that and hope you can forgive me. You are important to me and I want to maintain our friendship. Do you see that how the second one doesn't really help the friendship? There's no behavior that you are making amends for. Maybe the person didn't even know that you were being judgmental and you were able to keep it in check. How does telling them about that help your friendship? Does it build trust? 
You might be thinking you're doing it in the name of rigorous honesty, quote unquote rigorous honesty, or you're doing it to show your ownership, but you are not. What are they supposed to do with that information? What are they supposed to think about you now? Do you think that they trust you more now that you've told them that? Do you need to talk to someone about those feelings? Fine, that's totally acceptable. That is what sponsors are for and fellow travelers in recovery. But unless you have actual behaviors to make amends for, keep it to yourself. Work on it, surrender it, pray about it, talk about it with other people, but don't talk about it with the person. That's not responsible ownership of your character defect. Think about it. As an addict, I have worked really hard to not objectify men. Yet, sometimes I find myself doing it. This happened to me at church the other day. It was the husband of a woman I know. Is it helpful to my friendship with her or with him to walk up and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I objectified your husband today while I was watching him teach. I'm so sorry. No. That is not helpful. That's not helpful for her, for him, or for me. It's not helpful for anyone. And if you think that that is rigorous honesty, or you think that that is helpful, you need to go talk to your sponsor or send me an email. I'll tell you why it's not. When we approach people and say, I'm sorry I was resentful, we don't help anyone. Those feelings of resentment come whether I want them to or not. I'm not responsible for them. I am responsible for what I do about them. And that is where I need to make amends in my step eight. I need to make amends for my actions, not for my feelings, but for the actual actions that were caused by those feelings. I have found that if I can follow this one simple formula, I make amends for behaviors, not for feelings. I save myself a lot of problems. It also really helps me examine my own behaviors. I start making connections about how I treat people based on feelings or emotions that come up. For instance, I know through looking at this carefully that my default behavior when I am resentful is to ignore you. Literally ignore your existence. I won't engage in conversation. I will pretend sometimes that I don't even hear you. I won't answer phone calls or text messages. I've learned the damage that this causes because I've done it and I've tried to stop and I'm much, much, much better. But when I've had to make amends about this, it goes like this. I regret that I let my own baggage get in the way of our relationship. I'm sorry that I've been distant, cold, and not willing to engage. That behavior does not build trust or make either of us feel safe. Our relationship is important to me and I want to make an amends. How can I set this matter straight? And that is what making an amends is all about. It's apologizing and making matters straight about our behaviors. I hope these examples have helped you really to see the difference between ownership and responsible ownership. Recovery demands our very best efforts, ladies. If we really want to change our lives and move forward with meaningful relationships, we have to be willing to dig deep and really examine our own behaviors. Learning to take responsible ownership for our harms done, for our character defects, and for the other things in our lives is part of this effort. Working through this podcast has really helped me reflect on the areas of my life that need improvement in this area. I need to take more responsible ownership of my body. I need to take more responsible ownership of my relationships with friends. 
And I need to take more responsible ownership of my career choices and the direction that I'm headed in my life. I hope you can assess your life and see where responsible ownership needs to be a bigger part of your life as well. And I hope that when you're working step eight and you're working to make amends and working to become willing to make amends, that you understand that difference between owning your behaviors, owning your feelings, how to be more responsible owners of both my behaviors and my feelings. Thanks for spending time with me today. Thanks for making this part of your recovery. We are continuing to grow and it is so inspiring to me. I hope that you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight, ladies. Don't forget you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I also hope you're going to join us in January. We have some people flying in from different places around the country. I hope that you're going to come join us in January for our event, Engaged in the Struggle. I think about you ladies, I pray for you, and I love you so much. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.